Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram, Aaron underscore Dugan. We have a lot to discuss. Where does Texas A&M rank in the history of all-time overrated preseason teams in the SEC? We're going to have a quick discussion about that today. Cadillac Williams is why we love college football. We'll talk about some resumes out there. We are recording this prior to the late night rankings that are coming out. Uh, that's why you got this pod early on Wednesday because I am traveling to yeah, the, Mecca, the Mecca of professional football, which is Lambeau Field, to sit in 28 degree weather with some Do you family. Go to a game every year? Can't remember. Uh, every, every other year ish. Okay. With family, cousin dad brother whatever uh it's gonna be cold i'm expensing it as a work trip because the titans are playing the packers so there you go um there it is ole miss why this why the expansion of the playoff is perfect for a team like ole miss lane kiffin and the alabama succession plan it was mentioned a little bit last week on the pod but we didn't really spend any time on it so i wanted to spend some time on it with you uh aaron and get your thoughts on lane kiffin as the succession plan to nick saban uh by the way bama fatigue you know, I think it actually brainwashes people the other direction. Uh, everybody claims Bama gets the benefit of the doubt. I think it's actually the other way around. So we'll explain that. Uh, congratulations to LSU. Honestly, just an amazing, amazing season. We definitely had them pegged, Aaron, as a, a team that was going to be significantly better than what the preseason prognosticators had. However, we did not see this coming. So I don't know if anyone really had them pegged at all, but we... That's yeah, true. that's true. As anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and of course, we will celebrate and congratulate the end of one particular streak that deserves celebration. Uh, and we're going to start the show with Praise the Vanderbilt God. with the Vanderbilt Commodores. Uh, whenever we can, we try to start the show with the Vanderbilt Commodores. So we'll do that here coming up momentarily. Chris Childers going to join us a little bit later on in the show. I'm sad uh, I didn't get invited on that interview. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted a national perspective. I'm just going to just move on from that if that's okay. Just keep okay. Pl- plowing right that's, through it. That's fine. Uh, I'm going to, we're going to give, you're a very busy person. He's going to give us the national perspective and try to confirm or deny some of the things that we think as SEC fans, give us some national perspective on some of these SEC narratives. He's always good for, for busting some narratives uh, or confirming them. We'll see. So uh, all of that, of course, coming up today on the show. Fringe Element is the show, which is brought to you by J.E. Dunn. The leader in making people not hate work anymore. That that rolls off the tongue. But, oh, it does. But if you're in the messaging world, I know it's election season last last week. If you're in the if you're in the messaging world, it's a pretty good message. Like we are really good at making you like your job. Yeah, it's a pretty simple message. Also, you spend a lot of time at at jobs. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it it sucks not to like it. Not like. You know, if you if you think about life, not to get too philosophical, during the the ad for Je Dunn, jedunn.com, check them out. Top 100 healthiest place to work. If you if you think about your life and you're like, "All right, well, a third of it's sleeping and like another 40% is working, maybe more, probably like yeah. 60% is working." Like, how much time do you actually get to yourself to watch college football? Not very often. Not very no, much. You just sacrifice, you just take some the math from the sleep category. <laughs> That's what I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look at these bags under my eyes. Uh, so if you would like to take that period of time in your life where you're at work and make it work for you, 
you know, successful financially, but also successful psychologically and emotionally, like a human being should be. Check out jedun.com if you're looking to make a change in your career. Check out jedun.com. Yep. Cad- Cadillac Williams doesn't need this. He is very fulfilled in his job right now. Now he, he might he might be looking for a job in a couple of weeks, but for now, very fulfilled. And I'm if gonna, you're looking, I'm going to enjoy that one for as long as it lasts. I, I I tend to agree with you. It is why we love college football. Is stories like lack. Um, jedun.com, top 100 healthiest place to work, five billion in annual revenue. And of course, offices all across the Southeast. So check them out. Just check them out. If you're, you know, just peruse the website a little bit. Actively hiring. Tell them we sent you. Tell them we sent you. There you go. All right. October 19th, 2019, a day that will live in infamy. (laughs) The last time the Vanderbilt Commodores won an SEC football game, Aaron Dugan, when they beat Kentucky on Saturday, what did you do? Um, I didn't cry because I don't put that much. Emo- I, it would be unhealthy for me to still have that much invested emotionally. <laughs> but I was like, um, I was stoked because it, I mean, it was actually like an interesting game and was close most of the time. And Vanderbilt, as they often do, did not give up. Um, And I'm not saying that they've really done that this year. I just think it takes some time to rebuild. And I'm not saying that they have given up. I think they've actually played hard in a lot of situations when it's hard to because you already have so many losses on your record. And it's just hard to be really excited. But it was really nice to um, watch them win a game. And that game, Kentucky Vanderbilt, for many years when I was there, going there, working there, was one where it was a toss-up. A lot of the time, but this Vanderbilt team to beat that Kentucky team. I mean, towards the end of this, where we are in the season, we've seen some, you know, slip ups with Kentucky and some, they've shown some of their weaknesses much more than they did last season up to this point, I think. But, um, it was not a game that I definitely had not marked it as a W on the calendar at the beginning of the year. Nope. And we Vanderbilt continues to, um, continues to back us up in the bet we made that they would win at least was it three at the beginning two, of the two and a, two and a half they two hit the half. over they hit the over a long time ago but they long had not ago. they had not won an sec game like again night october 19th 2019 they beat missouri now what's interesting is th- this is absolute to your point this is absolutely not james franklin beating joker phillips that is not what this is um this is a backup quarterback mm-hmm. on the road in year number two of clark lee against the best coach in the history of Kentucky football. Yeah. And a number one potential overall pick in Will Levis. Mm-hmm. Mike Wright with the long run. And to me, this is like investment and patience. This is a clear sign of progress for Vanderbilt football. It is an obvious, overwhelming sign of progress. Yep. There's no other way you can take this season other than forward. Yep. You, can't, you can't define it any other way investment and patience now Vanderbilt if you want to continue this patience and investment that yeah. that's it that's it just let him work let Clark do his work it's hard to coach that way because when you're just taking things all the way back and when you had as fresh of a start as you had to have with the roster that he walked into at Vanderbilt and the yeah, program oh, yeah. at that point just being able to lay back lay those fundamentals back into the system and not do things for glory, but just 
don't just try to get like quick wins or do, I mean, I'm not saying you don't try to win the game at all costs, but to actually lay things down the right way and just kind of ignore the noise of, you know, we're still not, you know, we're not winning as many games as any fan base would like to win. Um, I definitely think that we saw Kentucky, what has set Kentucky apart in recent years, not only was building the program the way that we just talked about, which is what Clarkley, I believe, is trying to do, but is, you know, it's, there is, Kentucky had an amazing season last season, but, you know, they're not in that playoff contention category. And I just feel like there's, they're lacking in intensity a little bit. Stoops gave off a similar impression of just, we're, not able to convert in the red zone. We're leaving points on the field. We're lacking intensity and you just can't do that because it may you, when you get sleepy, you know, you lose <laughs> to Vanderbilt at home. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting is, and I don't know why, listen, I, I know I'm a Tennessee alumni, but I don't mean to bring it all the way back to Tennessee, but I'm going to say something negative about Tennessee. So it's okay. Okay. That's um, Tennessee fans, you just make it so hard on yourselves for us to root for you. Like you just do. And I say this not because anything major happened, like you guys didn't do anything wrong. But I mentioned like we're going to talk Lane Kiffin today being the succession plan to Alabama. Why he won't, you know, we talked last week with Neil McCready about why he probably doesn't want the Auburn job. He'll probably use it to get a raise from Ole Miss. I think he is a perfect succession plan for Alabama, which, of course, will drive Tennessee people bonkers. And I, I asked a bunch of Tennessee people this year, why do you still hate Lane Kiffin? I don't understand. Like he left for his dream job and then got fired on a tarmac. Like, why haven't you moved on from this? And we'll let it's so funny. The only fan base, and you know, I do a bunch of national stuff for ESPN and for Athlon for all my other right. stuff. I do not hear a single word from another fan base about Will Levis. I don't hear a single word, but I have Tennessee friends. I have Tennessee, there's people on Twitter. Like Tennessee people cannot go a day without shit talking Will Levis. They can't do it. And I, and it's just kind of funny to me. It's not, again, it's not a big deal. But I just find it I find it comical that like most Tennessee people's responses was not like, congrats, Vanderbilt. Way to go, Vanderbilt. Nice win, Vanderbilt. Got off the snide, Vanderbilt. It was all like, see, told you Will Levis sucks. <laughs> it's just so and fair. I think it's because I think it's because the national press and the scouts love him. They don't love Hooker as much. Tennessee beat the tar out of Kentucky this year, you know, you know, in Neyland with Hendon Hooker and against Will Levis. I, I just, I, it is the, there is no other fan base that talks about Will Levis as much as Tennessee does. It's like, it, and I, I guess I get, I, I guess I get it, but like, it's just so, like, do you, you know? don't, I, I do, but I don't. And then it just makes it so hard to like root for Tennessee people sometimes. <laughs> like, right. I don't know. Like, like, they make it so, it's not that, it's just they make it so easy to like kind of, <laughs> To kind of just, you know, he- head in your hand. Like, come on, guys. Like, mm-hmm. ugh, like it's just, come on. <laughs> they do. Like, like they Lane make Kiffin, a lot of things hard for themselves. If you don't enjoy Lane Kiffin, as a human being, a college football fan, an SEC fan, if you cannot find it in your heart to find enjoyment in what Lane Kiffin is and who he is and how he is, I got nothing for you. Like, he's he is pure entertainment all the time. His teams are good. He's a good coach. Uh, he's an entertaining Twitter follow. Like, I don't... I. I don't know. He's, After the game against Alabama, he looked like a regular professional adult football coach. He was pissed off that his team lost. No, no. I know. You should enjoy that stuff. Like enjoy Lane Kiffin. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm... That. Lane Kiffin is as uh, is not a threat to me and my fandom because 
the only threat to that is ourselves. So, <laughs> and our, our own um, ability to win or lose games. So for me, I can ex- I can meet him right where he is. But yeah, Tennessee I, fans. Are- I've all I've never understood the hatred for him because if you think he sucks so bad, then you should have been but happy he that he he can be. Oh, he's a troll on Twitter for yeah, sure. But it's like it's like funny. It's like when we when we always yeah. talked about if they were all in a group chat and like we just personified Lane as a member of like the ex Saban group yeah. chat. He makes more sense because then you can think of a friend that you're like, oh, that's so and so. And then like, like you're his, like kind of douchey, but funny. <laughs> he wants his sense of humor. Like there's a lot of people like this. And like and, and I have a little bit of this in me, but I'm not as as I'm just not a funny person. You got some laneisms. I enjoy my favorite thing in the world from a sense of humor standpoint is when everyone else is so uncomfortable. Like that is the funniest thing in the world to me. And there's people with like deadpan dry deliveries of that. There's people with like douchey delivers deliveries of that. There's Lane. Aaron Rodgers is like this. Like there's yeah. just he he's actually funny though. Like my brothers in law, Haley's two brothers, my wife's brothers are very much like this as well. Like we, the three of us, will tell jokes. And everyone else in the room is cringing. And the three of us are cackling like hyenas because we know that everyone else doesn't get it. <laughs> or just didn't think it was funny. Also a possibility, by the way. No, well, but like if I think it's hilarious, I don't give a shit what anybody else thinks. <laughs> like, I don't care. Right. This <laughs> like is true. That, this that, is that, true. But that's what Lane is. And Lane also, and I will say this, I can relate to the social anxiety stuff that I think Lane probably deals with. He's not a big... He doesn't love public speaking like he's it's not his it's not the place he loves to be. I am. I have the exact same like I hate talking in front of crowds, even though I talk for a living. Um, I didn't mean to get down this this rabbit hole of Lane Kiffin uh, psychoanalysis, but here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just fine. I do think and I guess I was going to talk LSU because we need to congratulate LSU. But let's talk Lane Kiffin here because I do think Ole Miss it, like after that game against Bama. I thought that was as good an effort as Ole Miss could have put forth. They could have called some plays differently at the end. Jackson Dart is simply not the answer when it comes to like putting the game on his shoulders and making him throw really big, like really big plays into double coverage on fourth and whatever. Like he, he's just not there yet as a passer. By the way, and without, and then I want you to finish your thought. But sure. there's very few quarterbacks in well, that play in a league like the SEC that could carry the weight of the game on their shoulders. We have seen, it's hard to say Bryce Young, it's not hard to say Bryce Young, but Bryce Young does have a established program like Alabama around him. We've seen times where Hendon Hooker can just pull things off that a lot of people can't. But for most quarterbacks, the weight of the game is too much. Sorry, I guess what I should say is I don't think his accuracy from the pocket, like, a lot of these guys, yeah, a lot of what you mean. A lot of these guys are like 67, 68, 69, 70% completion percentage guys. He's like 52. Yeah. And so if you're going to ask him to continually, and they didn't do this for most of the game until the end, if you're going to, and frankly, the last drive was all running the football against Bama, like until the end when they asked him to make a bunch of throws. And like when you are asking, and I'm not suggesting people to your point, most quarterbacks are not completing like fourth and sixth. No, I know what you meant though, like, but it's yeah. But it, it does feel like, again, even listening to Lane after the game, it felt like he, we talked a lot last week about the maturity and his family moving into town and like, do, he doesn't want the Auburn job probably and all this stuff. And it does feel like, I felt like I saw a different coach after that loss. Like he felt, I could see it in his eyes that he thought he had as good a team 
to beat Alabama for the first time and to beat his former boss and what that would have meant to him in his career and his journey is over his big picture story arc. And you could tell he was pissed off about it. Like a, like a real big time adult football coach, not like the guy who had like three chins, who was like telling deadpan jokes at FAU. No, you know what I mean? not like, not, not, um, not driven by ego. Yes, um, exactly. It's just like, because the difference is when a, when a lot of people play Alabama within six points, which doesn't happen that often or has more so lately than we've seen, you know, throughout history. But when you do that, it's because it, it was doable. Yeah. No, he knows, he knows they could have won the game. he knew it. And yeah. he's like, it's like, just, yeah. it slipped right through his fingers. And, and that's, that's the lane you saw is just, God, I was, that was so damn close. Yeah. And I think this maturation of Lane Kiffin is to me, if he, because the expansion of the playoff would have put Ole Miss in the playoff last year. If they finish this season 10 and two, that would be a potential playoff team two years in a row after rebuilding, which is a huge, huge compliment to Lane Kiffin to lose Matt Corral and Chance Campbell and your top safety and your best pass rusher and your best run stuffer and all those guys and to go into the portal and to reload a roster and to come back and at a program like Ole Miss to do it again, to replicate that again. I To me, there's a maturity now to Lane Kiffin that's like we always knew the offensive genius was there. Mm-hmm. But if he can do this for three to five more years, I'm not sure. Like, who is the who is the right person to take over when Nick Saban, the greatest of all time, decides to walk away in who knows when, two to five to eight years, whatever the number is. I I have really come around on the idea that Lane Kiffin is one of, if not the best choice to take over at Alabama. I, I don't think it's Dabo. I, I I don't think like it, it, I'd like her, to see what Sark is able to do, but I yeah. don't think it's I don't know if I don't know if it's as well round like I don't know if Sark has as many of the qualifying factors that Lane does that would allow him to exist in that environment. I mean, you know, you know how offensively minded he is and that he's adapting with the times and that he's creative. But I, I think when you look at the two of them, you know, your guts says Lane when you're thinking about who could fill that role at Bama and just the skin, not saying Sark doesn't have thick skin, but like, I don't know. Lane is a little like more emotional than you think he is. though. I, he is. But I, but I just find that for some reason, I know, I know feels, it feels right. It feels gut, like, yeah, your gut says maybe I can't explain it. Like if you told me it was, I, I don't know. Like, pick a great coach who's been a hot candidate for a long time, like Luke Fickle at Cincinnati or Matt Campbell at Iowa State, or like I don't know. Just Lincoln Riley would be a great hire. Like, there's a bunch of guys that are great coaches. But not I just, that have been in the SEC week in and week out for this long. And to sort of understand the Alabama machine, to understand expectations, to understand how it works, to be in the West and be at, be as successful as he is at Ole Miss. I it, like it just there's something about it that feels right. And I, I, I think agree. after hearing Neil McCready, go listen to the interview. If you're an Ole Miss fan, it was a great interview last week. Um, he, he talked a lot about Lane's sort of life outside of football. And it feels like what, it, maybe it's like now he's ready for it. Like he's never, I never felt like he was ready for it. I never thought that if I was an athletic director, I'd put my job on the line to hire him. Ole Miss felt like a good landing spot for him to get his sea legs. And now he's, now he feels like a guy ready for the big time, if that makes sense. I don't know. And it's he got like, the opportunity with the Raiders when he was like, you know, whatever it was, like 12 years ago. Right. 
and it, it's it's shifted from this like chip on my shoulder. I have to prove myself. I got a. I'm not just a Saban, you know, minion. To like now, his focus is turned inward towards his team. Of you guys are good. Let's prove it. Yeah. Instead of like, yeah. I have to prove who I am. Yeah. Because now it's on paper. Like we've seen it. And I think that 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 shift of him getting past the see me for me into like I I got it like I want my guys to know who they are. Um, is yeah, a I agree with that shift. I agree with that, and it's 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 more introspective. It's more holistic. I mean, pick a cliche, right? Like it's all those things. Yeah, the longevity of it's better. Yeah, all like of it. like Kirby Smart would be a great candidate, but he's not leaving his alma mater. Like that's not going to happen. So no. I again, I can't. You look around and. Greg Byrne, the athletic director at Alabama, has to be thinking about this stuff at all times because you never know what Nick Saban could wake up one morning and just feel like, hey, I, I'm not. We talked about this. Like, I think it could happen where he just wakes up one day in like June and he's like, I don't think I'm achieving to the same level that I should be. Uh, these players in this program deserve better. It's time for me to retire. And I, you know, maybe that never happens. You know, I don't know. I, it's hard to imagine him not going out at a high point, but it's also really yeah. hard to walk away at a high point. Yeah. Yeah, so. I mean, because you think you can just keep going. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I think Lane, for some reason, it just feels it just fits. Like I think he'd be capable of handling and filling the void. I don't think he wins, you know, seven national championships, but I I think he kind of checks every box. You know what I mean? Like yeah, there's just a, feel, it feels it feels like it would work. I, I have, and trust me, I have thought about this. Bama fans have thought about this. Everyone in this business has thought about this and had these conversations every time Bama has two losses. We're all like, oh, we write the obituary and then we're all wrong. Not that we've done that or whatever, but right. you do like you do think about it. You're like, all right, who's actually what is Alabama actually going to do after this? And it's mm -hmm. not like they're going to be hurting for resources or hurting to find a good quality candidate. But who could actually handle it? And you're kind of going, I don't know, man. Lane Kiffin seems like the right guy to me. So I just I don't think Lane Kiffin ends up back in Alabama unless it's at Bama. I agree with that. I've, uh, a lot of people think he's going to Auburn, and I don't think that's going to I just don't think he wants that one. I think if he's going to go back yeah, to that yeah. state, he's he wants yep. Bama. Uh, we'll get into... Much Chris, like Chris, Vanderbilt. <laughs> exactly. We want Bama. Childers is gonna, Chris Childers is going to join us a little bit later on. We'll talk about uh, Texas A&M, and I'll put into some pers I want to put into perspective how overrated Texas A&M was. Um, and by the way, but, but before we do any of that... Um, Congratulations to LSU. Like, just honestly, what a, what yes. a year by Brian Kelly. It wasn't a pretty victory. Harold Perkins, come on down. You just Jeez. monster you. Um, th this is Harold Perkins is the reason that Brian Kelly left Notre Dame. He could not get players like Harold Perkins to come <laughs> to Notre Dame. And now he's got a roster full of Harold Perkins. And he's able to beat Alabama for the first time in his career. He's going to win a division and compete for an SEC championship. That is why you go to LSU and why you leave Notre Dame. Just it wasn't a pretty win over Arkansas. No KJ Jefferson, who looks like he's going to be back by the way this week. Yeah, but but like, just what can you say about the job Brian Kelly has done at LSU this year? Well, he's literally um, hit all of the goals that he said in one of his very first press conferences. When after he took that job, I mean, you know, and it was. We need to learn how to win. We need to play hard and we need to be better in the month of November and go back to that. And he's, that's exactly, exactly what he's done. And then you talk, yeah, the, the player, I mean, 
the Jaden Daniels, Harold Perkins, just all of those guys, like you just mentioned, and the ones that you just don't get at Notre Dame allow you to have a much higher ceiling than you did there. Um, not that the ceiling for Notre Dame isn't high, but it's LSU is just different. And I mean, then you surely everyone's heard the sick story about Perkins by now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just like Keishon Boutte, Booty, um, you know, those guys, BJ Ojolari, like Mason Smith hasn't even played for this team. <laughs> those are all like first round five star talents that like Notre Dame doesn't get. It doesn't mean Notre Dame doesn't develop great players. It doesn't mean they don't have really great teams, but this is a really, really good coach now packaged with really great players. And I bet you no, nobody in Baton Rouge cares how he says the word family now. Nope, nobody <laughs> does. Nobody gives it. And shit you've about. got guys on this roster that their stats look like it's an entire position group and not one player. Yeah. I mean, it literally is, you know, eight tackles, four sacks, two forced fumbles. It's like one person and he's sick and throwing up before the game. It's <laughs> I know he's a freak of nature, just off the charts and talking about Perkins, but it is this team. I didn't, I didn't think this was, this was possible this quick. And I, I will, I agree with that. We didn't think we didn't have the exact same take that everybody else did on LSU. We still had question marks, but we didn't have, we didn't have uh, doubt, but this is this is happening in a different fashion than I thought it would. I, I mean, we were hammering the over on LSU all summer we, long. We were. I mean, hey, guys, they're going to be better than you think, much faster than you think. I think we said that all summer long. We did. It's just like, but no, but, but that, we did, but, but not win in the West. Nobody had that. No, that's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's if just you had, here, here's, bit, the thing. Yeah. here's the thing. Sorry to cut you off. If you had, yeah. LSU winning the West and Tennessee making the playoffs. Show me the receipts. Right. I need the receipts. And even then, I feel like I don't know if I trust your opinion because you didn't have on paper that that's a good, you know, like I, that, that didn't look good on paper. <laughs> I need to see the receipts. I need to see you tweet LSU will win the West, Tennessee will make the playoff. I need to see that. Because here's the other thing we said to people Georgia is underrated. We said that all summer. We're just going to tell people how good we are. How about that? Um, I... That's uh, kind of one of my favorite things. <laughs> so I think, uh, and and the last thing here on on Bama, uh, Kiffin, LSU, the the West, all this stuff, because uh, I don't really think there's a whole lot to add to how great LSU season is. I don't. Yeah. I mean, like they, it's just an ex- except exceptional year, and it is what happens when you put a professional, high level football coach with high level athletes. You get immediate results. Um, I the Bama fatigue thing real quickly because I want to get to Jimbo Fisher and Texas A and M, but yeah. Uh, I actually think, and I, I'll talk with this uh, with with Childers a little bit later on, but I don't know. I think Bama Bama fatigue blocks the brain from like using critical thinking, in my opinion, for for other fans because you just hate them so much. Everybody's so tired of them, and I think we kind of touched on this last week. But like, people are so tired of Bama, right? That like, if you look at that resume though, with now with a win on the road against Ole Miss, like they're better than TCU. They would beat TCU. I would pick them in a game against TCU. I'd bet everything I have on Bama beating TCU in a game. Yeah. But people are still like, oh, you're just giving them the benefit of the doubt. And I'm like, no, you're just measuring them against 2020 Bama or 2009 Bama or 2012 Bama. You're also measuring the rest of the SEC based on what the rest of the SEC normally is. And I would say the entire caliber of a lot of these teams, like we said, there's there used to be about uh, there used to be the best of the best. Upper, upper middle tier, lower middle tier, and bad on both sides, east and west. Sometimes the bad teams on the east were worse than the bad teams on the west. But right. there, 
the the entire bar is up. I mean, with the exception of Texas A&M, we don't know what's going on with them, but you've got, I mean, do you know what I'm, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no. We're all just up a notch. Tennessee and LSU won the West, not Alabama, and Tennessee could go to the playoff, and that doesn't include Alabama or Georgia. Right. Yeah. And Alabama and Georgia are still really, really, really good. Yeah. Like Georgia's elite, and Bama's still pretty damn good. Yeah, just the entire your reference points are different. Yes. Mississippi State is a, a decent football. Florida has six. Florida's rattled off like three straight wins and they've been impressive doing it. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's watch out for the growth on Billy Napier in year one. Like that's also a slow quick. that's a slow build. And it's happening. Again, Kentucky has the best coach it's ever had. I mean, Arkansas, like they they're it's been disappointing, but They've also had injuries. They play a ridiculous schedule. Again, Arkansas is not missing as many pieces. It won't. It won't take Arkansas. This isn't like a start over rebuild for Arkansas. They're just missing things that need to go back where they're supposed to go, like toys back on the shelf, and then it'll it'll look better. I think the the one that is to your like Vanderbilt is better than we expected. Hit the over. South Carolina bowling in two straight seasons with Shane Beamer. I, I think to your point, we can go down the list here. Mm-hmm. I mean, Missouri had a top three defense in the SEC until they played t- Tennessee this week. Right. Um, but I think the, the, the Texas A&M story is the only one where we just go, you shake your head. And again, I pulled out, I, I, this is not every single team, but I looked at most teams uh, in the SEC since the BCS era, 1998. So preseason Texas A&M was ranked number six. They are going to have a losing record. And so I looked across all of college football and in the SEC. Again, this is not exhaustive. I didn't check every single team, but I did as much as I could. And uh, ever, since 1998, you've got 1998 Arizona State, preseason number eight, finished five and six. We all remember 1998 Arizona State, right? Uh, how old were you? I was eight. eight. Oh, damn it. Um, 2005 Tennessee was preseason number three. Finished five and six. It was actually the year after I graduated. Uh, So that was a really bad team. 2003 Alabama was preseason number three. Finished three and eight. So even right there, that one's already probably worse. Right? Those two might be worse, frankly. Um, 2022 Oklahoma this year actually was preseason number nine. They're five and five. They could actually have a losing record this year. 2013 Florida was preseason number 10, finished 4-8. and eight. Yeah, I, I remember that. I believe that was a Muschamp team. Or no, that was uh, either a Muschamp or McIlwain, one of the two. Uh, tw- how about, uh, what else I got here? Oh, 2010 Texas, preseason number 5, finished 5-7. Five and seven. 2020 Penn State, preseason number 7, finished 4-5, and five, but that's, you know, it's 2020, whatever. Um, 2021 North Carolina preseason number 10, six and seven point is it happens about every two or three years. You get a preseason top 10 team with a losing record, which is what A&M is going to do this year. So it happens probably more than you think. Right. And, and a couple other sec ones to note, uh, 2016 Ole Miss, they were number 11. They finished yeah. five and seven, but that was, I believe the year that Hugh freeze was fired before the season. So they had to go to that go sounds with Matt right. Luke. Um, 20, there was a tennis. There was another Florida, 2021 Florida last year was number 13 preseason. Finished with a losing record, six and seven. They fired Dan Mullen. Um, Tennessee had one that was preseason number 25. Okay, whatever. Uh, they went four and eight. That was 2017. That was Butch's last year where they cratered. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and there's a handful of other ones like 2021 North Carolina. I mentioned that 2004 Kansas State. Uh, there's a handful of other ones. Point is, we are of the last 25 years. This is one of the most overrated preseason football teams in college football. And I don't know what the out is for Texas A&M or Jimbo Fisher. I don't know what the end game is. I'll ask this of Childers later. What is the end game here? Because the contract's in place. You've invested so much money. You've got to let the offense go. And it it sort of feels like that 2013 National Championship is the outlier, the exception, not the norm. Yeah. It's just hard when, when they've been right on the edge of the playoffs very recently. And then just... To me, it's just like, it just feels like there's something I don't know. I mean, obviously we see the problems on the field, but what we're, we still have question marks around those things. It's, there are things about like exactly what they're doing, but a lot of them, a lot of the questions I have are play calling questions. And then to me, there's just, I feel like there's gotta be something culturally behind the scenes or just people dragging their feet about making certain changes or making certain hires or letting people, certain people go and just, or all those things plus cultural problems, because this is not working and we, it should be. Yeah. Uh, and what do all those teams that I just mentioned not have in common with Texas A&M? $100 million coach and NIL money pouring in into every corner of the program. None of that and existed for any of those teams. most of them don't have Texas in common either. No. And I think to your point about the culture, because he Jimbo Fisher left Florida State in shambles. Mm-hmm. Like it was behind the scenes, it was like Butch Jones. It was the culture was destroyed. It was toxic. Florida State was a mess for years. They just now, just now, six, five, six years later, is Florida State finally recovering from the mess that happened when Jimbo Fisher left. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't. I think he can be a good coach. I think he is a good coach. I think he has to get out of his own way. And we've talked about the offense and the offensive coordinator, and he's got to go make a hire and do some ayahuasca and go find a go get his Lane Kiffin vision quest, right? He needs a shaman, yeah. But there there to your point, there might there's more to this now there's... because this is quitting. And you know what what matters? What happens when the portal opens? It's not gonna be pretty. Oh, oh, well, that's what'll tell us, right? Right. I just, there's, yeah, there's shit, there's something going on we don't know about. I mean, or or maybe, and maybe certain people know, but it, maybe it's just, I, I don't know. But it's, this is the same, there's a feeling around it where it's like, I'm not comparing him to Brian Harson, so don't get it, don't get this twisted. But there was this air of, like, secrecy, what's really going on, like, do you like doing this job do you like the kids in the locker room do they like you because it seems like we're hearing things where they may not i'm not saying that all that same things happen all those same things are happening with jimbo right but then you also look at what's happening exactly the opposite of what we just said about lane kiffin and his post-game press conference where the i'm not saying lane doesn't sometimes have an ego because he does but just the air of humility we were close damn it i wanted this i'm sick that we weren't able to do it and then he also took he took ownership of everything that went wrong. Exactly, and then I actually did not see Jimbo's post game press conference after this game, so I need uh, to go back and watch it. It wasn't pretty, but it's like 
all the other ones I've seen lately are just almost like F off. Excuses. Chip on my shoulder. Yep. Uh, uh, like just giving you reasons why it went down that way. And you should be, th- there's so much emotion involved in this job. You should be physically, or most coaches are physically ill after a loss. Yep. And he does not look like he's affected. There is a major cultural problem at Texas A&M. You know where there's not a major cultural problem? Tennessee. J.E. Dunn. Oh, <laughs> should have been ready for that. Um, yeah, you should have been ready for that one, Dukes. You should have been ready. It's on me. com. Culture, chemistry, fulfillment, inspiration. Array of available positions. An array of, of available positions. Well, or just array of potential lines of work within the company. I thought you were going to... So large. I thought you were going super metaphorical and it was going to be like a ray of sunshine underneath oh. your paycheck or something. No, like I'll that. write him a haiku next week. Though. I'll put that on my to-do list. You will write Jay Dunn a haiku. Yes. I like and that. I'll perform it on the podcast. I think you should do it live. That The one you did live was really impressive. Aaron Dugan has done live haiku, who, haiku, haikus. Haikus. If I, could I can try. Should, you want me to try? Uh, J.E. Dunn. I'll give you a second to collect yourself. J.E. Okay. Dunn. Top 100 healthiest place to work in the United States. $5 billion in annual revenue. Offices all across the Southeast. And the one in Nashville is extremely awesome. So I can only imagine all of the offices are extremely awesome. The people are wonderful. I know them personally. They are fantastic. They care about you as an employee. So if you're looking to make a change, be fulfilled, satisfied in your work, taken care of by your employer, check out jedunn.com. Just check out the website and tell them that 440 Sports sent you. Aaron, are you ready? I to can. perform your J.E. Dunn haiku. I just am going to say I don't even know the first line yet, but I will I will try. See what you got. Um, 575. Okay. Um, oh. oh ala- alas, J.E. Dunn. <laughs> a trailblazer. <laughs> a trailblazer. I don't know how many sil- syllables that one's Trailblazer. About. Of work, work course. They got a green egg. <laughs> That's fine. Alas, J.E. Dunn, a trailblazer of okay. workforce. Yeah, it should be a trailblaze. I don't. I don't know about this. Go yeah. to J. Go to just. Just go to jedunn.com. The second line needed work, people. But yeah, I don't yeah. know. Most people don't even know how Pretty to write good. a haiku, so lay off. Most people don't know what, what a s- syllable is. Um, True. So counting them is even harder. Uh, right. That being said, Jay Dunn knows exactly what a syllable is, and they know how to count. Two they very positive, two positive. A lot things. about syllables. They really yep. do. And counting, two really important skills in life. Uh, so go check them out. All right, real quickly. Um, Cadillac Williams, Tennessee Vols res- resumes. We're, this is happening. We're recording this before the playoff. Uh, Chris Childers coming up in just a second. But uh, Cadillac Williams to me. Like that is the reason we love college football is people like that doing, he's not going to get the job. We've already talked about this, but he is doing it because he loves his university and he loves those kids. That's it. That's it. That's all there is to it. And, uh, love to see them win. Not because it's, you know, Auburn or AM. I don't actually care, but it's fun to see that type of story happen. And you could see the emotion on his face. We've seen it now for weeks. Uh, yeah. just, just, uh, tearing up like- and they did and they really didn't even have to throw the ball. <laughs> He's just, yeah, he's just That's like, Lord part. knows I didn't think I'd be standing here. Like, no one did. 
emotion, all the good feels. It's just awesome. Yeah. Uh, I think they went. I want to check how many pass attempts they had. You need to talk about culture and fun and being in love with college football because I need to look up how many pass attempts they had in that game because I don't even think they had to throw the ball to beat Texas A&M. So. Well, just as an interesting is it that the game is especially an interesting one just because of the everything we just said about Jimbo Fisher is the exact opposite of everything we're talking about right now with Cadillac Williams. So that becomes even more you know, that just becomes exacerbated and highlighted when you have that kind of push pull or dichotomy going on. A, 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 a defensive line coach who has zero coaching experience beat the preseason number six team in America by completing six passes. That's wild. That's why we love college football, man. It's also called giving a shit. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, and probably a little bit of luck, passion. Sure. Sure. Got to have Just... luck, man. Got to have luck. Uh, quickly, re- quickly resumes, G- Georgia to obviously dominating performance in the second half over Mississippi state. They're the best team in America. It goes without saying, I do not understand. And <clears throat> I'll talk a little bit about this with childers, but like the, I'm getting a lot of what happens if Ohio, like if the loser of the Ohio state Michigan game and Tennessee are both 11 and one who gets in. And I got tagged in a thread with like a bunch of other ESPN people like Chris Felica, Reese Davis, Peter Burns, all these guys. And almost all of us, when we responded to this question, <laughs> we almost all said the same things. It depends on how all the games look, but the commit if the committee is going to go off resume, there is no way you can leave out the University of Tennessee. You cannot do it. Michigan doesn't have any wins. Ohio State doesn't have the same wins. TCU doesn't have the same wins. Mm-hmm. USC doesn't have the same wins. You cannot leave out the University of Tennessee. That's it. You're not wrong. I mean, no. it's... It's there's still just there's still just so many pieces, but I, right. I know, I know, I know. There's a lot but, of a lot of losing left to do, as they say. Well, it's just, I mean, is there just there's a lot of things that just aren't comparable. So you can you know you can talk about record, you can talk about totals, you can talk about teams that are undefeated, and it's just you're right when you talk about Tennessee and the fashion in which they won some of these games and just who they've played. It's it would be hard to leave them out of that equation. Yep. Um, um, anything Anything else? Uh, Florida, again, mention them. Nice win. I just wasn't totally um, ready to move on from Mike Leach because he is literally a oh, gift okay. in every interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Conference. yeah. I just, I will absolutely not miss a Mike Leach press conference. It's one of my favorite <laughs> things on the planet. Um, it's the way he answers things are exactly how you would answer things if you didn't really think about it and didn't really care. Um, I'm not saying he doesn't care, but he'll just uh, the things that come out of his mouth. Like, um, I don't know who asked him this question, but someone said, you know, talking about the way Georgia uses their tight ends. And like, could you ever incorporate anything about what Georgia does with that position group into the way that you play and your scheme and everything? (laughs) And he goes, well, I mean, not not really. He's like, but I could use a whole unit of them. (laughs) <laughs> um just <laughs> he's like no we absolutely can't do that because we don't have that talent at the position but we could use the entire roster that they have if yeah, they want to give all, it to us just just all three nfl tight ends that they have we'll take all of them so he's someone's like we know you can't talk calls like we know you can't talk officiating he's like i can but it costs money just everything <laughs> everything about if you need just a break during your day and you need to laugh a mike yeah. leach press conference will get you there i will say that mississippi state not everything that we saw in that 
performance, even though the final score looks pretty gruesome. Not everything we saw from them was bad. They were able to stop the run some, but then they left a lot of points on the on the table. But um, I, I think it could have been worse, even though the final score looked. And they got the long return to make it look closer at halftime. But they kind of did exactly what we said. Hey, it's going to kind of be slow, kind of be close at halftime. And then Georgia will pull away in the second half. And that's kind of what we said last week on the show. Yep. So. Just God, we are an, bragging a lot this week. Damn, like an episode of just victory laps. Every just taking victory laps everywhere. If if Lane Kiffin gets hired after Nick Saban, we we are done. We're retiring. A one hundred percent. There's we're, nothing else we could say. No, we called it in November of 2022. Back, you got to know when to walk away. <laughs> what oh, else man. do we need to talk about? I think that's it, man. I think that's it. Uh, I'm gonna be at Lambo on Thursday night for Titans Packers. It's a it's a work trip. Uh, so that's gonna be fun. Um, going with the family, we'll see. Check it out the, kind of a work trip. Check, oh, I'm expensing everything for sure. As check out, <clears throat> check out all the uh, the socials there for my drunken cussing sailor of a cousin who is literally a drunken cussing sailor. Like he's been in the Coast Guard for 20 years. Like that's what he is, and I we can't wait. That. Can't wait to see him. Um, really funny dude, but like actually funny, not like me. Um, who's just awkward. Um, otherwise, here uh, I think that's it. This is our this is my conversation with uh, the great Chris Childers. CC Chris Childers, how are you, man? Welcome to the show, buddy. Good to see you. I am fabulous. It's good to uh, talk to you again, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm I'm ready for the World Cup. I'm ready for the college football playoff championship Saturday, Turkey Day, all kinds of great stuff coming for sports fans. Um, and I wanted to get your perspective today because we. We've got a lot of different things that happen in the college football conversation nationally. There's a lot of biases and there's a secret SEC deep state conspiracy taking place. And, you know, we've got Bama fatigue and all these different things. And I'm just curious from the national perspective, like how much of those things do you buy into? How much of them are other leagues being thirsty and jealous? How much of it is real? Uh, like, just I'm curious your perspective on the committee or ESPN or media catering to the SEC. Is it real? Do we need to be concerned about it? Your thoughts, sir. I think it's real. Um, I think it'd be stupid if you ran a media company that didn't cater to the SEC. If you were in the business of college football, because it's where the eyeballs are. It's where the ears are. It's where people care about it the most. I mean, that whole cliche, it just means more. It's a fun slogan, but it's real. Now, I don't know if it's healthy or not, but it's a real thing. Like, they are certainly uh, all in when it comes to that. I think there's a jealousy. I think, um, you know, anytime you're in the Midwest and you talk about the SEC, they kind of scoff at it. You know, there's always a certain, like, well, you know, they cheat their ass off. Or, you know, there's always, like, a... <laughs> a lack of respect like yeah great yeah. but they're insane i think that comes with jealousy i think that comes with the fact that you know the ohio states the michigans the notre dames aren't winning the way they used to i mean back when you and i were growing up michigan was winning a national championship notre dame was winning Nebraska. a national title yeah like it just doesn't happen anymore it's about bama lsu the southern teams so, yes, I think there's a real fatigue. I don't think it's an Alabama fatigue. I think it's mostly an SEC fatigue from other parts of the country, which is why we need the 12-team playoffs, so at least everybody gets their back scratched. 
So I think this is interesting because I think you could argue that this is a year like if we don't have Clemson and Bama in the playoff this year, which is very possible. Mm -hmm. I think you could argue that both of those teams would absolutely get into a 12 team playoff and then would be very dangerous in the 12 team playoff. It's almost like this year is a year to sort of if, if you are against expansion, this is a year to point to look. Bama had its chance. They lost twice. Clemson had its chance. They lost. Or maybe they lose twice or whatever. It's almost like this is a year that is, if you are against expansion, a year you would point to. Because you like, what what is your, if you're TCU and you have a great season or you're Tennessee and you have a great season and you get in as a four seed or whatever, and you have a bye week in the 12 team playoff. And then all of a sudden your reward is what? You're playing Bama? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Like you can almost argue that's a reason not to expand, right? I would say it is, but. To me, we just have to do it to get to fix what we've just talked about, because the fact that there is a Southern fatigue, the fact that the Southern, the South has dominated the sport. I mean, even Clemson, like Clemson's in South Carolina, it might as well be a part of the SEC and the footprint. Um, So to me, expanding at least gets the Pac-12 in, you know, to care um, other parts of the country to care. Everybody's going to have a chance to be a part of this. Now, is everybody going to have a shot to win it? No, but I don't think that's the point of expansion. Yeah, I think the point of expansion is to make college football national again. Is because it's to me college football as much as I love it and I cover the southeast and you know all that. On top of doing it national, to me college football is turning into lacrosse. Like lacrosse is such a heavy northeastern sport, and it's really, really big. And like Baltimore and Maryland, college football is kind of becoming that way. It's kind of becoming a southeastern kind of sport. I mean, all the top guys from California are coming to the south, Texas, coming from the south, the top parts of the country. I'm hoping that it quells some of that when you have access. When there's access to the big prizes, when there's access to the playoff, and you don't have to go to Alabama to play for the prize, you don't have to go to Georgia to play for the prize. I hope that it fixes some of that and brings back the nationalization of college football. I, I agree with that. And I, I it's we're tricking people into thinking they have a chance, and then they get to hang a sweet 16 banner in their arena. Like that, that's mm-hmm. that, that's what we're doing, which I think is good. I think it's good to have teams like Iowa State and Purdue and Washington State and you know, even in the SEC, you know, Ole Miss would never win a national championship, but with Lane Kiffin, they they would have a good chance to make a 12 team playoff pretty last year and maybe even this year. Kentucky, same deal, 10 win seasons under Mark Stoops a couple of different times, no chance to win a national championship. Yep. Maybe they get in and play one game. Um I want to go back to your media comment, which I think is important to note. Because I agree with you, if you are running a a business, and this includes Fox or CBS or anybody else competing with ESPN, is you you can't ignore the the, the eyeballs. You you can't ignore that. But that is not the same thing as the committee putting teams into our tournament. And I think a lot of people conflate those two things outside of the Southeast, where because we think so and so is you know gets more coverage that they are automatically the committee is somehow listening to TV executives. Like, I I don't think, do do you believe that the committee looks at brands or looks at the sec or favors one region? Or do you think they are actually, maybe I'm being naive here, but I actually think they just try to the best job they can to pick the best four teams that they can. Yeah. And I think those teams just kind of come from the Southeast. (laughs) 
I mean, you know, right, wrong, and different. They their job is to get the four best teams, and I think that's exactly uh, what they've done, right? Like that's what they do. Is they, and a lot of times it involves Alabama or Georgia or Tennessee or LSU, and and you know, three of those four teams are still in play right now. I don't think there's any committee favoritism at all. I don't think they're sitting there with their little SEC hats on or anything like that. The fact of the matter is, look at college football. Where are the best teams? Outside of Ohio State and Michigan, where are the best teams? They're in the SEC. Who can win legitimately win a national championship? Outside of maybe Ohio State and Michigan, it's the teams in the SEC. So there's not favoritism going on. It just is what it is. Now, do I, mean, I the pe- think the people on the committee are from Penn State and Kansas? Yeah, they're State from everywhere. Like, they're, like they're, they're not, not like right. yeah, they're not. It's not like thirteen people from the SEC <laughs> sitting together and picking the the four teams. To me, you're trying to be as objective as possible. There could be like a little thing in the back of your mind saying, you know, if it's TCU versus whoever, and you could say, well, I know for a fact that the other team is just going to have better players because they're. Georgia or Bama or whoever, you know, maybe deep down there's a subconscious like, yeah. I just know that they're better than them, but it's not on purpose. I mean, it's not like there's some sort of well, and that wouldn't be the case with Tennessee, right? Not this year, no. Like no. if Tennessee is the team that gets in, it, you can't argue that it's because of recruiting rankings, no, or like or like past historical success that is bias that is creating this sense of bias right i mean tennessee is kind of the ultimate test of this right i think tennessee's got the ultimate chip though because they've got you know if bama wins out they've got to win over alabama plus their losses to georgia and no other and not that like any loss is great but there's no loss that equals that loss there's no loss with anybody that's in contention for a college football playoff like to me if you're losing to the defending champion who i think is head and shoulders better than everybody agreed why are we penalizing Tennessee? Because they had to play them? Because that's the way the schedule lays out. You know, TCU doesn't play in the SEC. If they played Georgia, guess what would happen? <laughs> right? Why don't like, why don't people happen? But why don't people like they? Oh, by the way, they also have a four touchdown win on the road against the SEC West champs. By the way, LSU. Yes, they um, do. I, I don't. Yes, I don't do. understand why that is a difficult thing for people to understand. Like like USC's loss is really good. It's mm-hmm. a really, really good loss. A, a two-point conversion in overtime at Utah. That's a really, really good loss. USC could be in the mix with Tennessee. Michigan could lose on the road to Ohio State by a score. That would be a really good loss. But if any of those teams, like TCU, for example, like if any of these teams had to play at LSU, at Georgia, and Bama at home, I don't know how many of them have only one loss. The fact of the matter is they wouldn't, right? <laughs> like they just they they wouldn't. Tennessee's played Georgia, Alabama, LSU. And to me, when your one loss is by two scores to number one, it's hard to keep you out if we're debating against TCU, if we're debating against whoever it is, USC. Like, way to go, USC, but who did you beat? Your defense stinks. I know you know Tennessee's, Tennessee's defense not, might that, yeah. not be great, yeah. but let's be honest to who they played. Yeah. I mean, you know, and people will scream SEC, SEC, but the fact of the matter is they have data points they look at and they will favor Tennessee. They just will. I think I could argue because I think here, I think the Michigan-Tennessee debate is going to be really fascinating because I think Michigan 
if they lose, let's say by a touchdown to Ohio State, and it's one loss, second place Michigan versus one loss, second place Tennessee for that final spot, I think we can have a really smart debate about which team is actually better. If they yeah. played in a game, I could make the case for Michigan to to win a, in this individual matchup here or that matchup there. They're certainly going to be able to run the football in Tennessee like crazy. I think it will be a hell of a game, pretty evenly matched. But if, if you're asking me which team is getting the bias, which team is getting the benefit of the doubt right now, it is not Tennessee. It is Michigan because they have not played anybody except for Penn State, and they but but they have been consistently dominant the entire season. And I again, if you want to tell me, Chris, that you think Michigan's better than Tennessee, I'm not really going to argue with you. I think it's a really uh-huh. even discussion. But don't tell me that the SEC is getting favored favoritism here if Michigan gets in over Tennessee, because Michigan doesn't have half the resume that Tennessee does. No, if Michigan gets in, it'll be completely based on eyeball. And if that's what they want to do, fine. But Michigan literally hasn't beaten anybody. You know, if Penn State impresses you, then okay, maybe they have. But Michigan's done it against nothing. Nobody's. Yeah. That's just the way that it's gone. Now, their non-conference schedule was light. They played Colorado State, Hawaii, and UConn, which looks better than it did at the time, but still, I mean, let's not get crazy. At least Tennessee went on the road and played a game. <laughs> went to Pittsburgh, played a, a the re- defending a, ACC champion. A, a real, foot, a real footyball game. A real yes, footyball game. Yes, that matters. <laughs> it was competitive. Yeah, it, it was. wasn't a guaranteed win. Um. All right. I just wanted to talk about some of the larger forces at play here. I also think the other one that happens is people are like, oh, Bama Bama gets the benefit of the doubt. Bama gets the benefit of the doubt. I actually think it's the other way around, which is very similar to our our political news Uh where where people think, you know, Facebook is like all a bunch of liberals and really all they do is prop up, you know, (laughs) Ben Shapiro content. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. I, I actually think they're I actually think it's the alternate. It's the opposite of that. I think Bama fatigue, because we are all tired of Bama. Everyone in every conference is tired of Bama. I totally agree with everybody. I am glad that Alabama, no disrespect to you, Crimson Tide fans who are listening. I love you. But like I'm I'm excited to have somebody different in the playoff. I think that's good. And Clemson, frankly, I'm excited to sure. not have Bama and Clemson for the first time ever. But I think it also blocks the brain from being like rational and using critical thinking. Like I, I think the the hatred people have for Alabama for the last 15 years. They are incapable of looking at a Bama team that even though they might not be as good as we thought they were or Saban's best team or good enough to win the West, I their, their losses are on the last play of the game to number five and number seven. Yep. They just beat number 11 on the road. Like, I don't like it's almost the again. Well, I they're think held to a different standard. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's the are. other like, way around. Yeah. Yeah. They, they've won so much that two losses and you start to panic, like, oh, my God. Like, I heard somebody that you know well on Nashville radio, and you probably can guess who it was. <laughs> um, you know, Saban's lost it, and the dynasty's over. And, and I'm just like, calm down. The guy lost. He should have beat Tennessee. Like, they should have won that game and blew it. Um, they're right there. I mean, literally, they're right there from being number one still. And, and being, you know, nobody's... We would be saying, man, that's a little bit closer than normal, but we would certainly right, right, be right. They're not giving them all the accolades yeah. in the world. They are held to a yeah. different standard, and I get it because Nick Saban set that standard, but I'm with you. Yeah. It works the other way with them. Yeah, it does. It's like, and, and I don't like to pick on TCU because I actually love the TCU story. I think it's a great story mm-hmm. for college football. 
But like TCU fans thinking that they're better than Alabama is like if they had played again at Tennessee and at Ole Miss and at LS and at LSU, do they have an undefeated record? And I don't think the answer is no. Yeah, I don't think USC would be undefeated. I don't think Michigan nope. would be undefeated. Um, two real quick questions here for you, and we'll let you go. Uh, yeah. Who do you not? Nobody knows who's going to be the Auburn head football coach, but I want to know who do you want it to be. I want it to be Hugh Freeze. <laughs> I think Hugh Freeze is the guy that can go in there and win. Can't be Jim Mora, you know. That's true. But <laughs> to me, at Auburn, you know, because to me, he'll take the job. Like, I don't know if Deion Sanders or Lane Kiffin will take the job. I think they'll use it as leverage. But I think Hugh Freeze would crawl on his belly through glass to get another chance in the SEC. This oh, yeah. would be yeah. the chance. I kind of want it to be him, and I think he'd be successful. And I I'm just want everybody to forgive him. Oh, like, I, I know about, I like, he's paid that. his price. <laughs> he's been out of the league. You know, look, he... he you know, called ladies of the evening. He <laughs> did some unsavory things, but that's for him and his wife to deal with. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Like, I'm fine with him coaching my football team if I'm if I'm Auburn. So well, I kind of want it to be Hugh. And the cheating isn't cheating anymore. So no, it's all above board. Yeah, <laughs> so I mean, you fine. can no, Laramie I mean, Tunsil, Robert Kimdichie, mm. no problem. Now again, yeah, Laquan Treadwell posting stats oh, yeah. of hundies on Instagram. Yeah. yeah, let's uh now don't go don't go googling um anything about Liberty's power structure and pool boys. Don't do that. But um, I, I think, I think he would be the most, would be the best for media. I think he yeah. would draw, he would get the most clicks. You know what I mean? Like we would get so many clicks out of Hugh freeze. If he ended up at Auburn. Um, what's funny is that what's the joke about Tommy Tuberville can't beat UConn. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> just hire another coach. who can't beat UConn. Uh, and then I lastly just, here, lastly, I'll let you go. I just Googled the pool boy, by the way. I was, Oh, you didn't know about that. No. You didn't know about that. Oh. No, I didn't just, just listen, Ian McCall, Jerry Falwell. These are classy individuals. Okay. I'm yeah. just saying classy folks. All right. Last but not least, how does this Jimbo Fisher thing end? Because he's not going anywhere. No, but the 2013 season, and even to some degree, the 2020 season, which where A&M was really, really good. They were number five in the nation, finishing the season right outside the playoff. It's starting to feel like those two seasons are more the exception and not the rule. I think he's an illusionist. I think he's like David Copperfield or Houdini or any of those guys. He's tricked everybody <laughs> into thinking he's good. Like he had Jameis Winston, who is generational, who is poison, but brought came with wins and won a championship. Jimbo left Florida State in in ruins. And look at what AM is. The problem is he's not going anywhere. So the only thing you have to do is you, you the only option you have is to fix it. It can't be like the boosters and everybody saying, you know, we got to move on. Next guy, it's $86 million. So at this point, let's figure out a way to make it work. Let's figure out a way to continue to invest in the best players, try to get some assistant coaches that know what the hell they're doing. You know, maybe get Jimbo to become Ed Ogeron and just like, not do anything. You know, like like just be there and let everybody do their thing. No, um, I'm, not, I'm not sure you want him to be Ed Orgeron all the time. Maybe not to that <laughs> extent, but you know what I mean? Like Ed was yeah, trying yeah, yeah. to become more hands-off. CEO, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But like to that degree of just like let guys do their job and you stop thinking you're the best offensive mind because you're not. It's like, very Dabo. It, he needs to be Dabo. He needs Dabo in his game. Right? He does. But the problem is he's stuck and they're stuck. 
And I don't feel bad for anybody involved. They did this to themselves. And Jimbo Fisher is going to have an $85 million deal to make him feel better if he were to get let go. So I don't feel bad for anybody involved here. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. The buyout life, man. We know a lot of them They're Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good life. Um, CC, man. Thank you so much. Have a great Thanksgiving. Enjoy the last couple of weeks yeah, of the regular, same to you. regular season. Thanks for giving me some time. I do appreciate it, my brother. Thank you. Yeah, go USA, too. There you go. Thank you, sir. All right, see you, dude. That was Chris Childers of Full Ride on SiriusXM, host, of course, uh, at Childers Radio on the Twitters. Uh, always love talking with him. And, uh, yeah, the one thing I, I think I would remind folks of, Two, 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 th- two narratives. If you're, in, we've done this before, where we gave you guys ammunition as SEC fans to bust some narratives. Let me give you two more. The committee of people deciding who goes to our playoff is full of a bunch of people from conferences not named the SEC. Okay, Mitch Barnhart's on there. He's a Kentucky guy. There's a Texas A&M person, I believe. But otherwise, it is Michigan, Notre Dame, Colorado, Kansas State, NC State, Wake Forest, Navy. Wyoming, these are the people that are deciding the playoff. They have no tie, no financial incentive to help the SEC. So quit that shit. Uh, number and and then and then of course uh, <laughs> the other narrative is that somehow the SEC drives like television ratings more than like Penn State or Ohio State or Michigan or Notre Dame or USC would, and that's just not true either. Like uh, uh, like maybe. Tennessee's a new hot to- toy right now. We've enjoyed watching them and they've drawn big numbers, but mostly it's beating Alabama that draws the big numbers. Uh, Penn State has more people in like two cities than are in the SEC. So if you're ESPN, you actually want USC with Ohio State and Georgia. You want all the regions of the country to be covered so you can make as much money as possible. Like I, I don't. Mm, there's I don't understand. a lot of truth in there, but also remember what espn owns they don't own it yet all those all those ratings this year have gone to cbs (laughs) no i'm just saying that conference wise they have ties to a couple right but if but if you know if Ole miss and tennessee both get in which is not going to happen but i mean hypothetically here like everyone in the sec is already going to watch not everybody in the midwest or the west coast is going to watch but if usc's in everyone on the west coast is going to watch now you're right. I mean, it does spread out the target. It's about getting as many different regions interested in your product as possible if you want the highest TV ratings. And then you have to deliver good games. Yeah. Like, they have to be good. Uh, TV is, is a- like, running the world, and so there's it's really complex now, but yeah. yes. All right. You know who should be running the world? J.E. Dunn. Go work for them. They are great people. They will they take care of your career. They do have enough money to do that, it feels like. They're not, they're not I'm like, I'm just like, they're rich. They're not that big, but they're big. They're 5 billion <laughs> annual revenue. Big. Aaron, where can people find you? <laughs> You're like, stop talking. The Aaron Dugan on Twitter, Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. At Braden Gall at 440 Sports. Turn all the notifications on. Watch on the YouTube. We got picks against the spread coming up later on this week as well. So thanks for hanging out with us. We'll be back next week, probably a little early because of Thanksgiving, but uh, we got some, we, we still got content for you. We can't mm-hmm. we can't miss on Turkey Week and Rivalry Week, so we got content for you no. next week. Plus, so I can't going... say Rivalry, so Braden loves this episode. I do, I do. and that's true. I forgot about that. <laughs> um, sorry for all the ego. We'll try to pipe down next week. Yep, it was mainly you, but I didn't say we would. She didn't say we would. She said we would try. Right, 
there's a difference. Very, very big difference there. JEDunn.com, everybody. Check them out. They'll be a great choice to go work someplace if, you, if you're looking to make a change. For Aaron Dugan, I am Braden Gall. Thanks to Chris Childers for hanging out as well. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy week number 12. Enjoy every moment we have left of this SEC season because it is almost gone. Thanks for hanging out. Rate, review, subscribe. This has been Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. Peace.